0: starting a new series. And I want you to understand there are three people who are occupying your seat today. You didn't know that, but you're about to know that. Three people in your seat today, or if you're watching on Facebook, three people um, in your seat watching on Facebook. The first person is the person who you are today as you exist with all of your stuff, all of your baggage, all your good stuff, all your bad stuff, all your highs, all your lows, the person you are today based on your past. The second person who's occupying your seat is the person you could be if you chose to follow God in the next year or two years or 10 years, and God will lead you down a different path. The third person is the person you're going to be if you turn your back on God and you walk away from God. See, the Bible says there's a path that seems right to a man, but its path ends in death. There's something that looks right, but it ends in death. So three people, and you'll have to decide who you're going to be. Which path you take will determine who you become. It depends on what you decide or what you allow to drive your life. There is something or someone driving your life today, and we're going to look at a man in scripture who was driven by his emotions. Same guy that the men are looking. on Wednesday nights. His name was Samson, and you'll find him in the book of Judges in the Old Testament about halfway through. His name means sunshine. We're going to call him sunny today. He's one of those folks, when he walked in the room, he was handsome. He was strong. He was a man's man. He was uh, a woman's man. You can tell, by the way, I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. I sang it in the first service and they, they booed. So I wasn't going to sing it. I was just going to see if you're paying attention. Um, so when he came in, everybody noticed Samson. He drew a crowd everywhere he went. Now, let me give you the background. The book of Judges is this book that's written in Israel's history Um, after they've gone to the promised land. Joshua has died and all of the elders who were with Joshua, they've all died. So the Bible says at the end of Joshua that as long as Joshua was alive or the elders who outlived him, as long as they were alive, they followed the God that Moses had talked about and that Joshua had talked about. But once all of those people died, it says the new generation did not know God and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this cycle goes on in Judges where they'll do wrong. God says, if you disobey me, I'm going to allow another country to come and discipline you. And when you cry out to me, I'll deliver you. So this cycle goes over and over. They, they cry out to God. God delivers them. They disobey God. God allows another country to come in and then they cry out in God. So it's just this vicious cycle. And so we pick it up in judges chapter 13, verse one, and it says again. So Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you were here for our last series and we talked about evil, we talked about your heart. If someone commits evil, where does that come from? According to Jesus? Comes from your heart. There's evil in your heart before you ever do anything. So Solomon said, guard your heart. Solomon's son, we, we learned about Rehoboam, it said he did not set his heart to seek the Lord, and so he did evil. And so that's what happened with the Israelites. They did not set their hearts to seek the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This was a covenant that God had made with them. And he said, if you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, this is what's going to happen. This is what happened. Now, if you read any scripture, you find out that that God is always at work behind the scenes. Jesus said, "Um, my father, God, is always at work. And then Jesus said, I too am working. So God is always working behind the scenes. And in this situation, it's no different. The angel of the Lord shows up to a young couple. She was barren, could not have children. And this is what he says to her in verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched with a razor because the boy is to be a nazirite Dedicated to god from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering israel from the hands of the philistines So he was going to be the judge now god told him about this Nazarite vow And if you want to read about it, it's in deuteronomy chapter I mean numbers chapter six, but three basic instructions number one was uh, It was normally a temporary vow and it was for someone who wasn't a priest and it was it was three things that were outward symbols of their inward commitment to the one and only true God. It's like my wedding ring is a symbol that I have committed my life to Janie before God and witnesses. So these were symbols, three symbols. The first one is no grape products, no grapes, no grape juice, no wine, nothing fermented. So what is this? No, what? Grapes. No, what? Grapes, first thing is the Nazarite vow. Number two, no touching dead things because in, in uh, the Jewish system, if you touch something that was dead, an animal or a person, you became unclean. If, if a Nazarite touched that, it would nullify their vow. It would be one of the things that they had broken where they said to God, I'm gonna be committed to you. The third thing is no cutting hair ever. Now, normally it's a temporary vow, and so somebody would do the Nazarite vow for three weeks, four weeks, a uh, couple of months to, to show everyone around them, to show God, and, and then their outward symbols are I am committing to God, so there's no grapes, there's no touching dead things, and no cutting my hair. Temporary. Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite from the time he was born, actually in the womb, until he died. Now, outward signs of his dedication to God. Now, the, the Philistines, you need to understand who they were. The Philistines um, were pagans. That meant they did not believe in God. In fact, they had some really strange religious beliefs. And they were the greatest military threat to to Israel while they were in what God called the promised land. And so they worshiped really uh, a, a ton of gods, multiple gods, and they did some things that the Bible says were detestable in God's sight. And so God said to them, Do not mess with the Philistines, do not be friends with them, do not date them, do not marry them. Now, um, have you ever been told to stay away from something? Anyone? And when you were told to stay away from something, how many of you went very as close as you could to the thing you were supposed to stay away from? Mom and dad said don't go there, so I'm going to go there. I'll show them I can I can go and I when I was eight or nine years old, we had this family friend, they, 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 very close family. So they had four children. We, my mom and dad had four children. We were all very close in age and great families. My mom and dad's best friends as I grew up in Borger, Texas. They moved away um, as I was a child. And so anytime mom and dad, things would start going rough, we would go see the Stillwells. They were our, their best friends. And, and what they would do is what old people did. And what's funny is I thought they were old and they their the age that I am now. It doesn't seem nearly as old. But when they would get together, they would sit down in the living room and visit. They call it, we're going to go visit. I hated visiting because it was so boring. And so the adults get together to visit. And I did what all kids in my generation did when they were bored. I went outside because we didn't have DVDs and internet and we didn't have social media. So I went outside in the backyard in Oklahoma City. It was a fenced in backyard and there was one instruction, do not mess with the neighbor's dog. And so what do you think I did? It was a Dalmatian. I'd never seen one before in my life. And I was fascinated with this Dalmatian. And I had watched people befriend strange dogs before. So I went over and I got next to the fence and I would walk this way and the dog would walk. And if I backed up, whatever I did, the dog was doing, I was like, this dog likes me. And so I stuck my hand up next to the fence and it sniffed and and it wagged its tail. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. This dog likes me. It wasn't long before it was just a little bitty fence. I started reaching over the fence. I started petting the Dalmatian, and for some reason, I do not know why, he was sitting there looking, and I put my nose right up next to his nose, and I said, you're such a good dog, and he bit my face. Now, I mean whole mouth over my face, and I don't know if you've ever had your face, your entire face in a dog's mouth. It is not a pleasant experience, Right? Now, by the grace of God, he was just telling me he could rip my face off. He didn't actually rip my face off, but it freaked me out. I scream, I go run into the house, my parents come out, their friends come out, they go over and they're threatening the next door neighbor. Your dog bit my friend's face, you know, all of this stuff. And and I learned a very, very valuable lesson that day that has stuck with me for 46 years. Don't mess with strange dogs. Right? That's a principle you could live by, right? The reason I tell you that is because God was very, very clear over and over and over with his people. He said, don't mess with strange gods. Now, I know you're swapping the first letter and the third letter. And if it helps you, if you, if, if, if a dog biting my face helps you remember, I will tell you that story over and over again. So you'll remember, don't mess with strange gods. And here's why God said don't do that. Because if you make a pet out of sin, it will bite you 100% of the time. Samson was a guy repeatedly tried to befriend sin, and it bit him over and over and over again. Now, Satan knew what drove Samson, and he knows what drives you, too. I want you to think about this. Um, why do you think it's so hard to get here on Sundays? We meet at 9.30 or 11, and, and most of you don't go to work at 9.30. usually go to work earlier than that, but why is it so hard to get here on Sunday mornings? Have you noticed It's easier for you to get to work on Monday mornings, and I know how you feel about work on Monday mornings. You tell me. You put it on Facebook all the time. But it's actually easier for you to get to work on Sunday morning than it is for you uh, on Monday morning than it is for you to get to church on Sunday morning. You want to know why? Because you have an enemy of God who wants to make sure you're not with the people of God. You're not in the presence of God over and over. If he thinks that your emotions will keep you from coming to church, he's going to send all of hell against you on Sunday morning. Can I get a testimony, anyone? Anyone? All right, okay. Yeah, I know, I see some of you in your cars when you pull up. Hello, bless the Lord. Yeah, I know. Now, I want you to to watch what happens in Samson's life. And and Satan uses the same game plan over and over and over again because it works on us. Judges 14.1, Samson went down. I want you to say went down. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Now you need to understand Samson's house, uh, his home was literally in the hills. So he literally went down to Timnah, but he didn't just go down physically. He goes down spiritually. He goes down emotionally because Timnah was a place he was not supposed to be. And so um, if you want to ruin your life, if you want to ruin, ruin person God wants you to be, then you do the same thing Samson did, and you go down to Timna. You follow your emotions to places you know you'll be tempted to compromise your convictions. So how can he derail you? You go down. Now, from the Israelites' perspective, nothing good could come from Timnah. Uh, Samson went down, saw a woman, not just any woman, a Philistine woman. The Philistine women, um, the way they dressed would be comparable to the way American women dress compared to Muslim women. Would you say there's a difference? Yes, there's very much difference. Jewish women were very, very discreet. Um, Philistine women weren't. In fact, they... uh, (laughs) it had to be men. It had to be a bunch of men drinking beer, smoking peyote or something, because they came up with this God who they said, we have to worship God by having sexual intercourse because this God is the the God of the storms and the God of of the crops, the harvest of the crops. And if we don't have sex at church, we're not going to have crops. So can you imagine a man saying to his wife, honey, I got to go worship. If you want food on the table, I got to go worship. That's a great way to get men to church, but not a way to please God, right? It had to be men that made this up. Women wouldn't do that. Now, if you have Samson, a he-man with a she-weakness, where do you think Satan's going to tempt him to go? Timna. And when you go down to the wrong places, you're going to meet the wrong people. You're going to chase the wrong person, and you will end up being the person that God never intended for you to be, all because you went down. Now, the New Testament tells us this. Paul is writing a letter to Corinth, uh, the, church, the, Corinthians, the, the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, and, and Corinth could have been called Temna. It was that kind of place. It was, it was horribly against the living God, but there were some people who became Christians, and so he wrote letters to them to tell them how they could be Christians in the middle of a Temna situation. Here's what he says to them in, in 2 Corinthians 6.14. You are not the same as those who do not believe, so do not, join themselves, do not join yourselves to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. God clearly instructs believers not to marry unbelievers. So does this mean that God hates unbelievers? Absolutely not. God loves unbelievers. What God is saying to believers is, why logically would you marry somebody who's not a believer? Because you're not going to agree on anything. You're not gonna agree on how to live your life, how to raise your kids, how to spend your time, whether to give your time and money to the church. And, and when I was a youth minister, we, we went on a canoeing trip one time and there were two seventh grade girls in a canoe and they had no idea how to, how to maneuver the canoe. And so it looked like they were going to different destinations, and so one was paddling one way, one was paddling the other way. And, and my buddy and I were sitting there watching them going, they're never going to make pro- progress. And in fact, they got so frustrated, they're going, help. We had to put an adult in the, in the canoe to help them get to the right place. If, if a believer marries an unbeliever, it's going to be like two people in a canoe going different directions. There will be frustration and very little progress. That's why God said it. Now, when Samson went down to Timnah, he was totally going away from where God wanted him to go. And then he came back and told his parents, I have seen a girl down there. Go get her. Now, his parents did what any good Jewish parents would do. He would do what what you would do in this situation. Isn't there a good, and in their case, a good God-fearing Jewish woman that you could be interested in? And he said, no, he rejected their advice. And let me just say this, tell you this. Anytime you disobey your parents, you're going down to Timna. You are opening yourself up for, for things you are not to handle. Timna was only four miles from Samson's house. It's just a little ways. It's, just, it's right there. I can see it. New Life, our building here is 200 feet long. Now, imagine if we started here at the corner, <laughs> George, you'll like this. Imagine if we started at the corner and, and in the first one foot, we find out that we're one quarter of an inch off. A quarter of an inch isn't much, is it, George? But if you go 200 feet, by the time you get to the end of our building, you'll be over four feet off, half, of a, half a sheet of sheetrock or, or um, plywood. Would that be noticeable if, if you started and it goes out? Half an inch. All you are is half an inch off. By the time you get to the other end of our building, you'll be more than eight feet off. A full sheet of plywood or or sheetrock. Would people notice that? Oh, it starts small. Just a little bit off. I'm not going far, God. I'm just going down, and I'm just going to hang out. Samson was smitten, and his parents had to watch him go down. They had to release him to the consequences of his own choices. So he went down to Timnah a second time and he goes down a third time and he goes several times because once is never enough when you're going down. Evidently, um, his parents went with him to arrange the marriage because they said, okay, if you're going to do this, we'll be a part of it. And they went ahead of him. So now Samson finds himself in a vineyard. Okay. Nazarite vow number one is no what products? Grape products. What's he doing in a vineyard? Nothing just looking around. See, that's the problem. You go down. Second, you will look around and something's going to capture your attention. And how often have you had somebody say, pay attention to the important things, but this captured my attention. So when he's where he's not supposed to be, the Bible says a lion, a physical, literal lion comes on him going to rip him apart. But because God's spirit was with him, he was able to tear the lion apart. He was where he shouldn't have been. And and Satan was trying to keep him from being the judge that God wanted him to be. Now, the New Testament tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. He is looking to destroy you, your reputation, the person you could be if you followed God. And he does it by taking you down. And when you get down, you begin to look around. Now, <clears throat> second time he kills a lion. Third time he goes down, um, he looks around and he, he sees these bees buzzing around. He hears them, he sees them, and he turns aside and he looks, and lo and behold, bees had built a honeycomb inside the lion, the dead lion. Now, Nazarite vow number two, they're not supposed to touch what? Anything dead. Is, is, is a dead lion with a honeycomb in it? Is that dead? Yeah. He goes over, and, and the Bible says he takes a scoop of honey because it looked good, because he wanted it. Vow number two, he just broke vow number two. Uh, <laughs> sin always starts in our mind. Samson went down to Timnah. He looked around. He meets the girl, but, he, but here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. When, when you're down in Timnah, there's two things you need to know about people who go down to Timnah. Number one is they want you to sin as much as they do because then they feel better about themselves. And so if if you're down in Timnah, there's going to be people who want you to go further down. And and very few, very few people are standing up here going, no, 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 don't go there, don't go there, reaching their hand down to help you up. If you find a person who wants to help you up, who doesn't scatter when you're in trouble, that's a friend you need to hold on to because there's very few of them. Most of them want to pull you down. So what Samson does, he takes the honey, he eats it. He doesn't tell his parents where it came from. And he gave his parents some honey that came out of a dead lion because he wanted to pull other people down with him. So the first thing you need to know is people in Timna want to pull you down. The second thing is everybody in Timna has a big butt. B-U-T, one, one T. I, say, I know where y'all are. One, one T, not two T's. Come on, come on. You're down in Timna, I know. But I was hungry, and that honey looked good. I mean, what does Winnie the Pooh love the most? Honey? There can't be anything wrong with honey, but I, I, I want it. I need it. She looked good. She came on to me. It's not my fault. And let me just tell you how you can know if someone's in Timnah, and by that I mean they are residing in Timnah they're driven by their emotions, they live in Timnah, is because they will always blame somebody else for their behavior. It is not my fault. Please tell me whose it was. Because I saw you make the decision. Now, Satan's way too smart to hit you with a frontal attack. He never says, see that woman over there? She, she's got 10 different children from 10 different men. She is miserable. She's strung out on meth, and all her teeth are falling out of her head. That could be you if you'll just go to Timna. Does Satan do that? Is it truth in advertising? No. He doesn't see. See that, see that girl over there who's miserable and can't trust anyone and thinks all men are evil? That can be you if you'll sacrifice your virginity on the altar of some, some young man's lust. That can be you. He doesn't say that, does he? He sneaks in around the back and he goes, you're missing out. The reason God has these rules is because God doesn't love you. God doesn't have the best for you. You need to be in charge. God's restraining you. Throw it off. You can be free if you'll just go to Timnah. Just this once, have sex. Just this once, go to that club. Just this once, try that. You want it, you know you want it. You deserve it. And you can handle it one time. That's what Satan says. You see, ruining your reputation always starts with going down to Timnah, looking around, and then the third thing. You'll go down, you'll look around, and the Bible says you will be found. Be very sure your sins will always find you out. You can't hide it from God. You're going to be found when you go down. Um, Because here's what happens. You go down, and you push the snooze button on your spirituality, on your relationship with God. And it will not be long before you violate a principle of God. You will disobey God because you're down in Timnah and it's just right there. I can do it. it. Everybody's doing it. Never Expect the blessing of God when you violate a principle of God. You'll go down, you'll look around, you will be found out. And so if you came today and you're like, why is my life not all it could be? Let me take a stab at it for you. Your life is not all it could be because in your anger, in your hurt, your loneliness, you're you're being exhausted, you're driven by your emotions and you've gone down to Timna and you've looked around, you've hit the snooze button and you are missing the life that God has intended for you. Now, when we pick up the story, Sonny has gone back for the wedding feast. Parents arranged it. And and the wedding feast, the word, we're studying this in the men's group, the word actually means a drinking party. What they did back then was they would have a week of drinking party, um, the, the, the groom with all his groomsmen, and Sonny, the funny, it's not funny, he didn't have any friends, zero. And so when he goes to marry this woman, the Philistine family has to get 30 guys to come hang out with him. And it probably wasn't hard. You're going to get drunk for a week. So, hey, who's wanting to sign up? Guys like, yeah, me, I'll come, I'll come. I'll be his friend for a week. And, and what's the Nazarite vow number one? Not supposed to have anything fermented. Well, he gets drunk and, and he starts running his mouth when he's drunk. And he does this riddle because, because nobody in here has ever had this happen. But you know someone who's run their mouth too much when they're drunk, right? You know, that's never, never happened to anyone in this group. And so look what he says. He, he has this little riddle. He thinks, I'm smart. I'm, he's drunk, but I'm smart. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. Now, you know the answer to the riddle because you've been paying attention, but the Philistine guys had no clue. And the bet was if they could not solve the riddle in the seven days of this party... They would owe him seven pairs of underwear. Not, not like tidy whities but like these were undergarments that went under a robe. Seven pairs of undergarments and seven, I mean, 30 pairs, because there's 30 of them, one for each of them. 30 pairs of undergarments and 30 pairs of, uh, uh, 30 robes. And if they could solve it in the seven days, then Samson would owe them. Now, Samson was cocky. I'm not going to have to pay up 30. They're going to have to give me 30. And he thought this was a big deal. So what they do is they nag his wife. She nags him. He finally tells her. She tells them. He gets mad, and he says this quote. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have discovered my riddle. Now, I've been married 27 years, and I got some advice for you people who are married. Number one, don't ever let someone plow with your wife. I'm not even sure what that means. And number two, don't ever call your wife a heifer. That is not a compliment anywhere in any language. Samson's mad. He has to pay up. So you know what he does? He's driven by his emotions and he goes to another city and he murders 30 men. And he takes their undergarments and their robes and he comes back and he pays up and then he goes off and he pouts because he's a man of character. In the meantime, while gone, all of this stuff, he's mad. The father gives the bride to the best man. That wasn't really his best man. His best man, you know, the 30 friends gives him to him because you don't leave a woman at the altar. See, in those days, you didn't stand before a a pastor or a justice of the peace and, and, and say, I do. In those days, you had the party and then you went and got the girl and you took the girl home and you consummated the marriage. Well, he never consummated the marriage so she was given to someone else. Who did consummate the marriage? Samson doesn't know this. He comes back a while later and says, hey, I'm ready to consummate the marriage. And her dad said we thought you hated her because you left so I gave her to someone else. You know what? You know what an emotion driven person does? He got mad. And he goes and he c- collects a bunch of foxes. He lights some torches, he ties the torches to two foxes to their tails cuz this is all rational. And he lights all of their crops on fire, burns all of their crops and they come and they say who did this? Samson did it. And when people ask Samson why they did it first, it's their fault that I burned their crops in a rather unusual way. He goes off and pouts. You notice a theme here? Emotionally driven people go off and pout the Philistines come to get him. He goes and he hides in the, in the land of Israel. They come to get him and the rest of the Jews, the rest of the Jews, were not following God. And so when the Philistines show up, they don't even talk to God. They go, oh no, the Philistines are here. What do you want? We want Samson. They said, we'll give him to you because we don't want any trouble. They go to Samson and they say, don't you know that the Philistines are our rulers? Who, who rules God's people? God. They didn't even think to cry out to God. This is how far they'd all gone away from God. And so Samson goes, don't worry, as long as you won't kill me, I'll, I'll let you tie me up and you give me to them and I'll take care of stuff. So they said, okay, we won't kill you. They tie him up with ropes. He goes out the Philistines shout, yes, we have Samson finally, our tormentor, we have him. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on Samson. The ropes fell off. He picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. And if you read the King James version, you'll realize this is the first recorded instance of hit in history of somebody open up a can of, I can't do it. I can't say it, Casey. <clears throat> if you read, if you <laughs> somebody said, say it, Casey. No, 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 no. Um, sorry. That's the King James Version. I'm I'm using the NIV in the the New Living Translation. In chapter 16, what do you think Samson did? He went down again. This time he goes to a prostitute, just an open prostitute. And then he goes down another time. Because once is never enough when you start going down. So here's what what you need to know from Samson's life. You go down to Timnah. You'll look around and something will capture your attention. You'll turn aside from where God wants you to go. You'll be found out because the scripture says, be very sure your sins will always find you out. And then the fourth one, your sin will bind you. You will be captive to whatever your sin is. This is Satan's plan. The last chapter of Samson's life is by far the most disturbing to me. Because he's, he, he, he just keeps going down. This time he meets a woman named Delilah, and her name means devotee, devotee or devoted. She was probably a temple prostitute, and she would probably look good because you're probably not going to have a. Anyway, I don't know why you'd have home, homely women and say, come, I don't know. <clears throat> the devil offers you freedom when you go down to Timnah. You'll be free when you go down, you'll be free when you look around, you'll be free when you have sex with no rules. You can do whatever you want to do, but it always leads to bondage. His lie is, freedom, no boundaries, it always binds you. I've talked to a lot of folks who've slept in the wrong bed. And their sin blinded them to what was going on. And their sin ended up binding them to a person they should never have been been bound to. And eventually it ground into their heart's poison, like what we talked about in the last series. That's Samson. His heart was destroyed by his own sin. Well, the leaders of the Philistines, they they bribed Delilah to find out the secret of Samson's strength, and because you've got weird weird ideas of, of having sex will make your crops grow, they believed that it was some type of magic that made Samson strong. So Samson starts messing with them. He says, Oh, tie me up with, with ropes and, and I'll be as weak as another man. So they try it. And and she says, The Philistines are here, and he jumps up and the ropes fall off, and he goes, No, 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 I was just kidding. Rope's never been used before. Fresh rope's never been used before. And so they tie him up because they think it's some magic. Samson, the Philistines are here. Oh, no. He jumps up and and throws the the ropes off. And, And so Delilah says, you don't love me. And she starts nagging him. And finally he says, okay, okay, okay. Weave my hair into a certain pattern and I'll become as weak as another man. And all of a sudden he's getting real close to strike three of the Nazarite vow. His hair. They try it, doesn't work, and finally, <laughs> the Bible says that she nagged him. It actually says this in, in Judges sixteen sixteen until his soul was annoyed to death of her nagging. So he told her, shave my head, and I'll be as weak as any other man. Strike three of the Nazarite vow. He had completely disregarded his vows before God. Delilah puts him to sleep. Someone cuts off his hair. And then she says, the Philistines are here. And he jumps up thinking it's going to be just like before. But some of the saddest words in all of Scripture are recorded next in Judges 16, 20. But he did not realize. What did he not realize? Help me out. The Lord had left him. Saddest words just about in all of Scripture. Sin binds us, blinds us, binds us, grinds us. And when God left Sonny, he's not so sunny anymore, is he? Bible says that the Philistines gouged out his eyes and they put him to work grinding grain. He, he now had the job of an oxen. And so there was a huge millstone and they would have this, this contraption out here and, and the ox would usually walk around, but because they wanted to make fun of this guy who had tormented them, they put Samson to grinding grain. So imagine pitiful, pitiful scene. His eyes are gouged out. They're gone. He's got no hair and he's walking around in circles, grinding grain for the enemies of his people and his God. And, and we don't even know how long this was, but what do, you think, what do you think starts going through his mind? He can't see. He can't leave. All he can do is grind and grind and grind. What do you think was going through his mind at that time? You think he was pleased where he ended up? I think he regretted his behavior. I think he regretted ever going down in the first place. I guarantee you he regretted looking around. He regretted being found. He regretted being bound by his own choices to sin. And then the rest of the story. Judges 16, 22. But before long, his hair began to what? Grow back. Now, was the se- secret to his strength really his hair? Lord, I hope not. No. The hair growing back, here's, here's what I believe, was symbolic that Samson served a God of second chances. Walking in circles, I think that Samson was humbled. I believe he, he began to, to pour out his heart to God, and I believe his heart became tender towards God. And then the Philistines, they decide, let's throw a party because they love partying. And we have our enemy in captivity. Let's make fun of him. Let's, let's throw a party for our God, Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, because our God, Dagon, defeated Samson's God. If you know anything about the God of the Bible, when someone says, our God defeated your God, how does the true God respond to that? No, 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 do not say that. So they bring Samson out. They're going to make fun of him. And Samson tells the boy leading him, would you please put me up against the pillars in the temple? that support the temple, and so they rest him up there, and, and Samson prays. There's only Here's part of the problem. Samson, we only have two of his recorded prayers in the scripture. The first one was after he opened up a can. He was tired, and he said, oh, God, I killed a thousand men, and now you're going to let me die of thirst. Man, that's a deep prayer right there. God, you provided supernatural strength, but I'm going to die, and God gives him some water, and he's revived. Man, great prayer there, but look at this prayer. He says, Lord, would you remember me just this once? And would you allow me to take vengeance on the people who poked out my eyes? And because his heart was tender, because God always responds to a humble heart, God answered this prayer Samson pushes over the pillars of the temple, and he kills 3,000 Philistines that day. And the Bible says that he killed more people in his death than he killed in his life. And as a kid, I remember this story in church, and I thought, finally, Samson did something right, but he had to die to do it. So there's some lessons we need to learn from Sonny, and I want you to learn them. First of all, when you go down, you're going to look around, you're going to be found Your sin will bind you. But here's the lesson you need to understand. There's a very, very high cost of low living. There's a cost for going down to Timnah. And nobody's forcing you to go. You are choosing to go of your own volition. So stop blaming other people when you're in Timnah. But the second more important lesson, it's never too late. When you serve the God of a second chance never too late to come back home. Would you bow your heads? Who are you today? Who's the person sitting in your seat today? Are you the person who's defined by all of your past? Are you the person that you're going to be if you keep going the direction you're going? Or is today the day you say, I'm tired of Timna. I want to be the person God made me to be. Dear God, raise up a generation of people who want to be who you created them to be. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.